This is the Overclocked Podcast, a regular dose of video game music and conversation from ocremix.org. This week, we catch up with Yorito and Black Doom for a chat about speeding towards adventures 25 years of Sonic the Hedgehog, dust off the old Hyrule Historia for a study on Ganondorf and Leitmotif, thanks to Between the Lines, and finish up with a playlist so bad, it's good. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 67 of the Overclocked Podcast. I'm your host, Brian, and joining me today is my brother and co-host, Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Wipe your feet before coming into our studio. I didn't do that. I'm not even wearing shoes. That's highly unprofessional. I pride ourselves on our professionality. I agree with whatever that is you just said. Um, Mm -hmm. So I have a funny, funny thing to say. Oh, good. So uh, we have that Between the Lines segment with Laura and Travia today, which sounds like Mm -hmm. the most insane segment we've ever put together. It might be 28 and a half minutes long. But it is about The Legend of Zelda, correct? Mm, Correct, yes. It is about Ganondorf. So I was thinking, shouldn't it be called A Link Between Lines? See, it's funny because it's true yeah <laughs> <laughs> you're right it should be called that i'm ashamed that we didn't think it. of that yep the link between lines so that's my uh that's my contribution to this episode i really don't have anything else but luckily i don't really need anything else because we're gonna have um another yeah. duosis mixtape and remix rewind from jh sounds um i'm really looking forward to this interview about the sonic album that we featured last week mm-hmm. we actually got both of the main album producers on here we apparently pull a lot of weight around here and by pull on a weight, I mean literally pulled them into our studio. Yep, strong-armed them right in here. Yep. Pushed them past the bodyguards. It's kind of a cool thing because um, Black Doom is, I think he said he was 18. Oh. And so he grew up with the modern Sonic games. Wow. Okay. And uh, he doesn't really like the old ones that much. And mm-hmm. Jorito is, you know, he's not a huge Sonic fan either way, but he's pretty much only familiar or at least before the album, with the older games. So, ah, it's, so it's kind of like a, the next generation is finally being trained. <laughs> that's really take interesting. Over the world. Now, going forward, we're just going to have a whole album of Hoobastank Sonic mashups. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. I'm very excited <laughs> about that. Yep. Fist bump for that one, Brian. Absolutely. I, anyone who knows what we're talking about, it probably means you're up on Sonic News. So. And that's probably nobody. So let's yeah. let's move on to the rest of the show. But first, I do want to give an extra thanks to Laura. She put together an incredible segment uh, this episode. It's probably going to be over half of the episode, just lengthwise. Mm. Um, it's incredibly in-depth. The Like the show notes I had to write, um, I don't think I've ever... I don't think anyone has ever typed the word Ganon so many times in a row. <laughs> Ganon's message, Ganon battle, Ganon's tower, Ganondorf battle, Ganondorf oh the demon thief. It's pretty uh intense. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Her segments are always great, and then this one sounds like the most elaborate she's done yet. And I just like that it's. I mean, Ganon's theme is not complex, like it, you wouldn't think of, so. The melody, the melody line is not complex. So the idea of delving into it for thirty minutes, I'm I'm excited for how deep she'll be able to go. Well, you'll all find out soon and go on a grand adventure that takes you to the darkened depths of Hyrule. But first, we need to go talk about the recent remixes that came out on the Overclocked podcast website called OC Remix. <laughs> Sorry, the Overclocked podcast website, but sure. I kind of lost the plot there. You kind of did. Let's go into this week's remix 
Rewind. Let's look at the The chipper chirps of Sega's Game Gear are taking a day off, and Eino Keskatalo is filling in with a distant, thoughtful mix that merges together zones Green Hill and Bridge. Sealand Melancholia slows down the Sonic 25th anniversary album from speeding towards adventures to something more like wandering uncertainly towards what we all perceive to be adventures. But why? What is it all for? Good news, the annual reminder that Street Fighter 3 exists has arrived with Arvin Goth's A Reflection of Tyranny. Scrappy, upbeat, and determined to punch your lights out, this two-minute track comes out fists blazing. And by the time you know what hit you, it's too late.
Archangel takes to the great blue sea in a vessel crafted from dreams and harmony, cresting waves of oceanic ambiance. Sapphire Oceans draws inspiration from Lufia II Rise of the Sinistrals, and invites you to go sailing on a melody more uplifting than you're likely to hear on land or sea. Crash Bandicoot is enjoying some long overdue time in the spotlight this month with the release of the Insane Trilogy. And Rexy is here to make that spotlight just a bit brighter with her, with her delightful arrangement of Crash Bandicoot 2's Warp Room, Subdimensions. Groovy, adventurous, and above all, joyous, this mix is the perfect way to feel that little bit better about life. So grab yourself a Wumpa Fruit and enjoy!
happy 4th of July five days ago. Have a song on us. Maze Dude's American Pixels seems like a fitting choice, especially if it pays tribute to firecracker of a composer, Pete McConnell. Angel Hinge pulls from the rarely remixed Brutal Legend, creating an industrial atmosphere punctuated by Zyko's crystal clear guitar. These remixes and more, head over to ocremix.org. Now that you've heard of the remixes, it's time to hear the remixes remixed. JH Sounds brings us his latest Duosis recut. Almost over now, almost over now. You 
think that you don't have to ever quit. You think that you can get away with it. You think the light won't be ever lit. It's almost over now, almost over now. Something on your chest, better get it off. There'll be no one left when we set it off. We ain't gonna take it no more. Since it's almost over now, almost over now. Welcome back, everyone, to another Intune interview. Everyone's favorite interview from the show because it's the only interview we have on the show. I'm Steven, your regular host, and today I'm joined by not just one, but two folks behind the recent Sonic the Hedgehog anniversary album, and that would be Yurito and Black Doom. Hey, guys, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, uh, thanks for inviting us. Uh, good to be here. It is good to have both of you. So, who are you guys, and how did you get involved with the OCR scene? And uh, I guess, um, Yurito, why don't you take this one first? Ooh, starting with the old-timer. Yeah, sure, that works. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yeah, my history with OCR is going back quite a while. Actually, I had to look it up. Um, so like 2003, I actually discovered the site, submitted a song. Uh, didn't make the website, obviously, because it wasn't any good. Mm-hmm. Completely forgot about the whole music thing, remixing thing. Rediscovered it like three years ago again. And really got into it, got really hooked into the community, into VGM music, mm-hmm. and to all kinds of crazy projects like the Sonic album. When did you start getting involved in putting together albums? Is this the first time you've kind of been a director role? Yes, definitely. Uh, a very interesting uh, journey as well, I must say. I'm even sorry I didn't do it sooner because it's so uh, educational and yeah. enlightening to do it. And side note, some of you uh, may already be familiar with Yorito from the OCR scene or just from listening to the show because he's always like submitting uh, playlist uh, ideas, which we are very grateful for. And I'm happy to do so mm-hmm. and keep doing it. Um, and the second part, of course, of the album team is you, Black Doom. Uh, glad we could have you on the show. If just for the sole fact that you are such a big Sonic music fan. So how did you get involved with Overclocked Remix uh, and this album? Uh, so in the middle of 2012, I guess, I found the remix of Special Stage from Sonic 3 Knuckles by Benjamin Briggs. Mm-hmm. It was Red Sphere and Blue Sphere. And I was really fascinated by this idea of remixing. And so I found the whole Project Chaos uh, thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, then I found the OCR website itself in the January, I guess, of 2013. I joined the community. That's awesome. It also makes me very happy that Ben Briggs brought someone else into the community because he's a very cool person. So that's how you guys kind of got into the OCR scene. But what about Sonic the Hedgehog? I need to ask you specifically about your own histories with that. And again, Yorito, I'm going to let you start with this one because I know your answer is going to be short. Yeah, I can be pretty short about it. My history with Sonic the Hedgehog is limited to only two games. So maybe you guys remember from way back, uh, Sega had this Game Gear, this handheld device a friend of mine actually used to own one and he had uh sonic the hedgehog on the game gear Mm -hmm. so i played that quite a bit uh wasn't so good at it that was essentially my introduction with sonic the hedgehog and the only other game i actually know is uh sonic adventure for the dreamcast Mm -hmm. and i figured out during this whole sonic album that I have been missing out on, like, dozens of other good Sonic games. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting series to keep track of because, like, the genre and style of music has changed dramatically over the years. But how about you, Black Doom? What was your first introduction to Sonic music? If I remember correctly, my first Sonic game was Sonic Adventure DX for the PC. Oh, nice. I uh, asked my parents to buy it when I was about five or four years old. I'm really young, uh-huh. 18 years old now. Oh, cool. It's, uh, I think Brian is used to being like the youngest person um, on our show. <laughs> so you get to take that honor. So when did you really start listening to the music? 
I uh, remember that I uh, found somehow the music files uh, from Sonic Adventure and I just extracted them. I converted them into MP3. So I started listening to them. Mm -hmm. It just blew my mind. And I can completely relate with that experience, amazingly enough, because my first Sonic game, Sonic CD, um, I just popped that CD into a CD player and discovered not only the entire Western soundtrack, but I found there was a, a whole different soundtrack for Japan and I think Europe as well. And that was like the best introduction to Sonic music. That was amazing. I think I actually heard you guys uh, talking about it on the podcast. Can that be true? I'm sure I've talked about it once or twice on on the show. I think I've talked about it on on like Sega Radio as well. <laughs> it's a story I like. Yeah, it's also pretty interesting. Uh, who is the biggest Sonic fan? Uh, you or Black Doom? Oh yeah, <laughs> that's a really good question. <laughs> it's kind of we'll we'll turn it into a competition throughout the rest of this interview. <laughs> um, so. Regarding this project in particular, Speeding Towards Adventures, um, how did that get started? As I mentioned earlier, I joined uh, the community in January of 2013, and that was the time when uh, another Sonic project uh, was in development. Uh, it is Temporal Duality, mm -hmm. which is a great album. Yeah. So I was really, really inspired by the creation of this project. So I thought, why not? Uh, and the anniversary is a very good cause. Mm -hmm. Speeding Towards Adventures ended up focusing on the uh, more on the classic games, I guess. Mm -hmm. There are not so many uh, games from the adventure era and from the modern era of Sonic. So right. I, I don't really uh, like the older Sonic games, maybe just because I, I'm not that old. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I grew up with Sonic 3D games. Yeah. That's funny, because for me it's totally different. I mm -hmm. remember growing up with the older Sonics, so that's the music that resonates more with me, and there's more nostalgia uh, for me involved in those games. And for you, you guys, it's probably the other way around. Yeah, I think I was very much in the era right in between there, because, you know, I am just about as old as Sonic the Hedgehog, but I didn't play a lot of uh, video games until I turned maybe 10, 11, uh, especially when I got into my teenage years. Um, so that's really where I hopped onto the Sonic train. So, Yurito, uh, when did you join up on this project? Well, I actually completely missed that this album actually was being started. So it, the album project was running for a while and totally slipped my attention. And suddenly I noticed, hey, somebody had to drop the claim for Green Hill Zone. Mm -hmm. I thought, huh. I know that song. Yeah, that's like a cult classic. Hmm, maybe it's interesting to join 
the album as a remixer. So that's also how I started uh, with the album project. I just mm-hmm. started out as a uh, remixer, remixing Green Hill Zone, right. which is quite difficult because it's like a cult classic and yep. very hard to give it a unique uh, spin. Um, ha, spin! But that's a sonic pun! Good job! Ooh, not even <laughs> intentional, but now that you point it out... We have a we have a very uh high tolerance for puns on this show. Yes, I noticed that. <laughs> it's good. Uh, but continue. Yeah, my first uh, contribution was like this uh, speeding towards uh, adventures uh, track. Mm-hmm. So actually, the album was named after lyrics in the song that it made. So that's actually quite cool. Yeah. But yeah, I was already talking with uh, Black Doom a bit. Uh, hey, I see that uh, you're. We're struggling a bit to uh, keep things going. Uh, maybe I can help a bit. So I offered my help uh, as a director. So mm-hmm. getting things in motion. And that's essentially how I got involved actually with uh, the album. But it was like a year after I actually uh, started contributing as a remixer. Was it just one or did you work on multiple tracks? Um, my work was quite all over the place, so I did this remix of uh, Green Hill Zone, mm-hmm. the Speeding Towards Adventure track, and once that one was done, uh, Black Doom also asked me, hey, we need a title track for the album, and could you maybe do that? And I mm-hmm. said, ah, oh, yeah, sure, let me give it a shot. And then I started looking at the title song hey this is pretty short what am i gonna do with this to make it in an actual song and make it engaging mm-hmm. and so i had to think a bit about it and around that time uh we also had this uh super mario album with all the map songs remixed in various right yeah it was that album and there was uh, this one track i think it was by flexstyle and expert novice Mm-hmm. And it was in this like electro swing kind of track, Caravan Palace kind of artist uh, style. And I thought, hmm, that's interesting. That's a genre I never did. Maybe yeah. I could try that. So that's also how the uh, whole track more or less grew. I ended up with this weird, crazy, quirky, special kind of track uh, to set the mood of the album. And looking back, I think that's probably one of my better album tracks just because it's so so crazy. back on the album creation process what were some of the biggest difficulties that you you know you guys had to overcome along the way well, the biggest difficulty for me of course I, uh, I think is the language barrier because I'm not a native English speaker so right. in an album director role 
you have to have a ton of communication going on. So even if you have the idea in your head, I can see how it would be a huge challenge to get that idea into someone else's head without them, you know, misunderstanding you or something. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, as for difficulties or struggles, for me personally, I only was involved in like the last year or so. And I didn't notice any particular difficulties or struggles. Uh, maybe apart from running an album is just a lot of work, a lot of hard work. Yeah, like you have to put constant, you know, attention into them or people will never get their submissions back to you. Yes, exactly. So that's probably the most challenging part. But of course, it's also part of the process because everybody is doing this for fun and as a hobby. So mm -hmm. you have to rely on people's downtime in order to uh, get some movement going. And that might take a while. One question for you, Black Doom. Um, do you um ever remix or write music of your own or were you just um in the director's seat uh, i'm not a musician at all gotcha so like that but gives me great hope because i really can't write music either um but i've always been interested in the idea of directing a community album so to know that someone else has already you know created through the help of the community, a Sonic the Hedgehog OCR album without actually writing the music makes me really excited. Like, I am seriously considering doing this myself someday. I would recommend it. Go for it. It's a fun ride. In my head, I've, I've had an idea for a Sonic Advanced Ska album um, that I've wanted to do <laughs> for a long time. So who knows? Maybe it'll happen. We might actually work on it together. Who knows? Exactly. <laughs> I already know someone who knows how to do it. So speaking of albums of the future and remixes of the future, uh, if there was a follow-up to this or another Sonic the Hedgehog anniversary album down the road, what are some songs or games you guys would really like to hear featured in it? Actually, um, for this particular Sonic, uh, Speeding Towards Adventures album, uh, there was a remix of Metal Sonic's theme from uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 4 Episode 2. It was um, created by Mike Audio. Okay. Yeah, but uh, somewhere in the process, I simply lost it. And I'm really sorry for that. <laughs> it was an amazing track, but it just somehow got lost. That's such a sad story. <laughs> I mean, for me, obviously, I want to hear a whole um, album about Sonic Advance ska music. <laughs> but beyond that, I would love to see someone do something with Sonic and the Secret Rings, oh, which oh, Brian oh, and I bring up whenever possible. Yeah, this game has an amazing soundtrack. I haven't played this game, but. Oh, God, this soundtrack. I know. It's crazy. It's like this sort of Middle Eastern hip-hop rock yeah, thing. Yeah, punk rock and just all blended together in one crazy mix, yeah. It's like such good use of, of vocals as well. Like, I know it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I thought it was fantastic. You definitely got me interested. Yeah, dude, go listen to it. I, I feel like you'd like it. I don't know why. Maybe I'm just being hopeful. But I guess if you guys are good to go, let's start wrapping this interview up. Um, I guess kind of final follow-up questions is, 
Is there somewhere on the internet that people can follow you? Do you guys have social media accounts like Twitter that you can point people towards? Yeah, for me, um, I would say the best way to keep in touch with what I'm doing would be to either go to my SoundCloud or my YouTube. So soundcloud.com slash Jorito or youtube.com slash Jorito. And if you just want to have a chat with me, go hop on OCR Discord and I'm usually there. And how about you, Black Doom? Yeah, so it's actually mainly OCR forums, but I also have a YouTube account and I also have a SoundCloud account. So SoundCloud slash B underscore Doom. But uh, since I'm not a musician, there's not any music at all. There are some just reposts. Okay, cool. Well, that works. But with that, we are going to head back to the show. And thank you guys so much for hanging out with me for a little bit and talking about my favorite thing in the world, which is Sonic the Hedgehog music. You're most welcome. We will see you around and head back to the show. Bye. My name is Laura Travia, and this is Between the Lines. Like most of the planet, I've been totally addicted to Breath of the Wild ever since it came out. While it's not one of my favorite Zelda soundtracks as a whole, I did love the battle themes across the board, and my favorite track in the game is definitely the theme that accompanies the Ganon Blights. I've been thinking lately about previous Zelda soundtracks and what I liked about them, and also how continuity between the soundtracks has been preserved over so many years in so many games. To that end, the Zelda music team has depended heavily on a classical musical element called the leitmotif. A leitmotif, which is German for leading motive, is defined by Merriam-Webster as a melodic phrase or figure that accompanies the reappearance of an idea, person, or situation, especially in a Wagnerian music drama. Now, we've talked about motifs or motives before, which are short musical ideas that reappear throughout a composition to provide structure and unity throughout the work. A leitmotif is a little different in that it's specifically associated with a person, place, or idea, so we're talking about music that has a programmatic or dramatic element to it. A story. So it makes sense that the usage of leitmotifs first sprang up in opera. We can trace its appearance as a technique back as far as Renaissance opera in the early 1600s, but it did not become a major driving force of compositions until the mid-1800s, during the Romantic period of music. It was then that it was employed most famously by Richard Wagner, who used them extensively throughout his four-opera cycle Der Ring des Nibelungen, or Ring Cycle as it's commonly known. Characters, places, ideas, and actions, Wagner accompanied all of these with specific, unique musical ideas that would reappear if those specific story elements reappeared throughout the story. It was deeply necessary as a narrative agent because the four operas in this single cycle total up to about 16 hours and are often viewed over the span of several days. And I haven't even gotten to the plot itself, which rivals Lord of the Rings for its complexity. Imagine how much easier it was to digest such an expansive work when you could immediately recognize a character or an event from hearing a few pitches or a particular chord relationship. What you're hearing right now is the famous Ride of the Valkyries leitmotif from the very opera I just mentioned. (laughs) 
today, the leitmotif is employed not only still in opera, but literally all over film, TV, and video game scores. It serves the same purpose it did in romantic opera, and in some ways it's even more effective for our modern-day storytelling. Wagner's Ring Cycle needed leitmotifs to pull together 16 hours of storyline performed over a span of four days. Think of your favorite TV shows that span hundreds of hours over multiple years, or epic movies like Pirates of the Caribbean or Lord of the Rings, with numerous characters to keep track of. And when it comes to video games, when there are certain franchises constantly remaking themselves and introducing new episodes with the same essential plot each time, the leitmotif has become potentially more important than ever to tie the games together. I personally can't think of a better example of the usage of leitmotifs than the Legend of Zelda franchise. And just as I said that, you probably thought of that iconic theme, the title screen from the very first Zelda game, which has since appeared or at least been hinted at in probably every single game since then. And I think we can fairly say that that's the official theme or leitmotif of the hero, Link. Princess Zelda has also been associated with her own lullaby theme, which has since occurred in several games as well. But the leitmotif that's the most interesting to me is actually Ganondorf's theme, and that's the one we're going to be discussing today. Before we start looking at the various incarnations of this theme across the franchise, it's worth looking at the original and breaking down what actually makes it recognizable and iconic, and its first appearance is in Link to the Past. So there are a few elements at play here. First, the melody is a weird one. Let's take a look at just the first half. It has an unmistakable pattern of descending by half step and rising by leap. However, the intervals are not exactly the same each time. It always descends by half step, but the ascending interval does change. Whole step, major third, minor third. We'll come back to that idea later. The first half of the melody is also accompanied by a parallel harmonic line, meaning the lines are moving in the same direction by the same distance each time, so they're always the same distance apart from each other. In this case, the two lines create a series of parallel perfect fourths. So the melody itself has already established somewhat of a formula. It's following a pattern that we can identify just by listening to it. But when we pair it with the bass line, it seems to be completely unrelated. The bass line for the first half of this theme thumps along on a perfect fifth.
So in a nutshell, the perfect fifth, that interval, is a particularly strong and recognizable one. And it leads my ear to believe that we might be in some kind of key of C. But we have no actual chords to support this. In diatonic harmony, that is, harmony based off of a diatonic scale, we build chords out of triads, or thirds. What we have here are fourths, and the melody line contains many pitches outside of a C scale. Now, the second half of the theme is much easier to digest. The melody is moving at a slower rate, but it's following the same pattern of descend by half step, rise by leap. This time, the leaps are the same pattern. Each time, they ascend by a minor third. Minor second, minor third, minor second, minor third, minor second, minor third. So, if the second half of the melody has an unchanging pattern, constant, then why did he make those choices in the first half of the melody to have sort of an imperfect formula with those different leaps? And why am I even asking that question? Because it's just as fair to assume that he picked them randomly because they sounded scary, right? But. From what I've seen in Koji Kondo's music, it's rare that he makes random choices without a goal in mind. Even in his atonal or rhythmically complex pieces, it seems to me he either intuitively or purposely follows some kind of a formula to tie the whole thing together. So if we get super nerdy and look at individual notes, the one constant I could find in the first half of the melody was that while the bass line plays only C's and G's, the melody line has no C's or G's, and in fact, he goes out of his way to skip them wherever he can. For example, let's say he followed the pattern in the very first measure, which was descend by half step, rise by whole step. He would have landed on a C and a G in the melody line. So instead of moving there, it seems he skips all the way to a D and an A. Now, some of you might be saying, hold on, he didn't have to skip that far. Instead of jumping all the way to D and A, he could have skipped just a minor third to a D flat and an A flat. But then the descending pattern would have landed on a C and a G immediately. Now let's talk about the final leap, which is up to the E and the B. A leap of a minor third. Again, it seems random, because nothing in the formula up to this point has supported such a leap. But the choice to skip there, along with the final pitch of the bass line, which is a G, sets up a minor chord where all of the voices, now including the bass, can move together down by half step into the second half of the theme. So the entire thing from start to finish. And we're gonna skip C and G. And we repeat it. and so forth. If you got lost, it's totally fine. This is one of those times where it's easier to look at it on paper, which I will upload to my personal blog. The point is, it seems like those apparently random decisions for the leaps in the first half of the melody compared to the second half, it seems like those were to avoid the bass line's pitches. Because had we had any moment in the melody where everybody was on a C and a G, that does make me feel like we're in 
some kind of key of C. So if we avoid that, it makes the melody sound more atonal, so it sounds more unstable, and therefore scary and menacing. And now we're finally getting back to the video game, because all of these minute choices created a powerful, memorable leitmotif that accompanies a character that represents pure evil. It makes sense that the melody is angular and weird and even ugly at times. So as we finally embark on our adventure for the leitmotif, we're looking for the falling and rising pattern, the general ascension of the entire melody, an unchanging bass line underneath, and parallel motion. And I will be mentioning key plot points, so consider this your spoiler warning. The surprising thing about Ganon's theme is that its very first appearance accompanies a somewhat different character. Aghanim, the evil wizard and Link to the Past, is working to resurrect Ganon, but later it's revealed that Aghanim was actually a shell, and he was truly Ganon's alter ego. This is a common theme between various Zelda games. Link often faces an adversary that is actively working for Ganon, trying to resurrect a trapped Ganon, or actually is Ganon, and the degrees to which the music can hint at this plot device varies from game to game. Sometimes the composer overtly uses Ganondorf's theme. Sometimes there are just subtle touches here and there that give you a clue as you're playing. For example, the final battle features those iconic parallel fourths. Now, those parallel fourths that I just pointed out, is it actually the leitmotif? There's a difference between a motive, which is a smaller idea of the parallel fourths, and then a motif that we associate with a particular character. I think this is one of those cases where it's sort of influencing other themes in the game, but this isn't really a statement of the theme. It's up to us as listeners to decide. In this case, I don't think it's unintentional, but I don't really think they're trying to state the theme here. But we might find different cases going forward in other battle themes. In Ocarina of Time, there's no confusion about who you're fighting. Ganondorf takes the form of a Gerudo, there is no surrogate adversary acting in his place. He is the main event. Ganondorf's theme is featured heavily wherever Link encounters Ganondorf in this game, and it's especially notable when Link is ascending the tower at the end of the game, as Ganondorf performs variations on the theme on his personal pipe organ. Interestingly, after this game, the organ is a common orchestrational choice to represent Ganon in future game soundtracks. And as with Link to the Past, the Ganondorf battle features parallel fourths in its melody line. Again, not a statement of the theme, but still at least a suggestion of its influence. The next major installment featuring Ganon is Wind Waker, and again, the theme accompanies him whenever he's mentioned in the storyline or appears in a cutscene. 
However, the composer takes some new liberties with the theme, similar to the parallel chords we heard in Link to the Past's battle theme. The main theme is now harmonized not with one parallel fourth, but with an extra parallel fourth underneath. The addition of the low register darkens the music considerably and makes the added counter melody all the more eerie. Of course, there's another fight with Ganon to complete this game, and again it features parallel fourths, but this time there is a direct quotation of Ganon's theme. Twilight Princess, we return to the idea of Ganondorf's pawns with the character Zand. When you first encounter Zand, there is nothing about his music to directly suggest that Ganon had a hand in his domination of the Twilight, but it's eventually suggested by the sages that Ganon is likely the source of his power. We also watch the story of Ganon's execution, which is quite a long cutscene, and it's here that Ganon's theme is given a new section, where the first half of the melody is repeated again in a new key. Ganondorf's influence is later confirmed by Zant in a cutscene where Ganon is revealed to have appeared to him as a god. And this is where the leitmotif truly takes on a new life, dramatically and musically. Not only does it feature a new, complex harmonic progression to add tension to the scene, but the melody itself is altered to be longer and to feature some more dramatic leaps. If before Ganondorf's theme was insidious and understated, now it's unadulterated in its power and fury. And this is where a leitmotif is most effective, when not only does it draw your attention to a character, but also to what a character might be feeling. Now, the thing I love about Twilight Princess is that the battle with Zant immediately following this cutscene features those influences of Ganon's theme that we talked about. There are those parallel fourths again. And interestingly, Zant's theme features a descending melody, rather than Ganon's ascending melody, as though they are mirrors of each other. And of course, Ganondorf's theme is present as you journey throughout the castle to confront him as a throwback to Ocarina of Time. And it's quoted in the subsequent battle themes. While Skyward Sword was not my favorite Zelda game, it has one of my favorite plots in the entire franchise. According to Hyrule Historia, this is the first game in the entire official chronology of the series, and as such, Ganon does not yet exist. 
You spend much of the game battling a lesser demon lord named Girahim, who is working to free his king and master, Demise, from imprisonment by the goddess Helia. When you eventually defeat Demise, it's revealed that he casts a curse of never-ending reincarnation, and that any reincarnation of Link and Zelda will be doomed to battle him again and again. But none of this is revealed until the last few moments of the game, and at no point do we ever hear the name Ganondorf, which makes it all the more spooky that his theme is featured several times during the course of this game. The first hints are in the servant Lord Girahim's theme, the choice of pipe organ, the use of those parallel fourths in the harmony. Now I went digging into the melody to see if there was any direct Ganon quote there, because it's so weird and chromatic, I thought there must be something, but I couldn't really find anything that felt like it was derived from the main theme. Now, it, it features sequences of fifths, which is a strident sound similar to parallel fourths, but it's not in a shape or rhythm that reminds me of Ganon's theme. But in the first battle with Girahim, we see a direct quote smack in the middle. Now, it's worth mentioning that that pattern isn't exactly Ganondorf's theme. Like, this is just a row of rising parallel fourths. It's not really following the pattern, and the melody isn't quite there either. But I think there are two reasons for this. One is that I think the composers probably didn't want to be too obvious. And two, I think this is enough that we hear the relationship. It's a rising pattern, it's parallel fourths, even if the leaps and the skips and the melody aren't there, I definitely cognized it as being Ganon's theme. When Demise is finally resurrected, he speaks at length about his hatred for gods and mortals in a very eerie cutscene. He promises to kill Link and dominate the world. We hear that telltale organ, and then, at the moment he mentions the Triforce for the first time, there's that theme we've been waiting for. Again, similar to the battle with Girahim, this is not exactly a direct quote, but there are enough things there that I definitely made the connection, at least for myself, that this is supposed to be a hearkening to Ganon's theme at the very least. So, two things to point out. One, that Ganon's theme appeared with Girahim, who is not actually a demon, but Demise's sword. Two, Demise actually has his own theme in this game. We hear it when we battle his imprisoned and resurrected forms. But despite the fact that these are two characters that are definitely distinct from Ganondorf as we know him, we hear hints of Ganon's leitmotif throughout. As I mentioned before, it's common that Ganondorf's influence on other characters is represented by his music. But again, in this game, Ganon doesn't actually exist yet as an individual. In light of that, the leitmotif seems to represent something more than a person. It seems to be the idea of Ganon, or what Ganon represents, which is... evil, hatred, or power? We'll come back to this in a minute. There's not much to say about the character of Ganon in Breath of the Wild. He's not really personified as a person or even a demon per se, but almost as a cataclysmic event. In his efforts to free ancient Sheikah technology from Ganon's grasp, Link fights several lesser versions of him known as Ganon Blights, 
And similar to Girahim's theme, that telltale rising pattern is featured in the music's climax, and this time the melody is a little more direct. find really cool about this iteration is that while we don't have parallel fourth harmonies like we usually do, we do have parallel triads. And of course, this same theme reappears when you fight Calamity Ganon in Hyrule Castle, in a different time signature. Now, going back to the point I made about Ganon's theme actually representing an idea rather than the person, this actually didn't occur to me until I was halfway through writing this episode. As I pondered this question, I started digging through cutscenes from different games, wondering if I would find a common thread between the different Ganons and characters bent to his will. Did they have a common desire? Did they have a common motivation? In Wind Waker, Ganondorf's actions seem to be motivated by his hatred for the Hylians for their lush countryside compared to his Gerudo desert homeland, and his desire to possess the cool wind that blew over their lands. He says, I coveted that wind, I suppose. In Twilight Princess, the puppet Zant speaks of the lifeless existence of the Twilight Realm, how he could bear it no longer, and says, It was then, in the thrall of hatred and despair, that I turned my eyes to the heavens and found a god. Ganondorf appears to him and says, Whatever you desire, I shall desire it too. He later says of the twilight, Their anguish was my nourishment. Their hatred bled across the void and awakened me. I drew deep of it and grew strong again. In Skyward Sword, Demise says, The hate for the gods that is boiled in my veins. You will taste all of it in the bite of my blade. Which leads me to believe that Girahim, both the demon and the sword, were created from his pure hatred. And in Breath of the Wild, Ganon's hatred takes on physical form, in pools of what's called malice, which form the Ganon blights that Link must defeat. I realize we've drifted pretty far out of music theory into game theory territory, but after looking through all of this material, it seems to me that the leitmotif represents something bigger than the character Ganondorf. Perhaps it would be more accurate to say that this is hatred's leitmotif. I also think it would be fair to say it represents lust for power, based on the dialogue of desiring power, of taking the Triforce, and so on. The music itself feels like it fits either interpretation. It seems to boil. The slow ascension marked by the constant fall and rise feels like seething. The strange chord choices and lack of clear tonal center depicts for me a sense of frustration or unfulfillment, which could be the result of hatred or desire. But however you interpret the meaning of the leitmotif, it's powerful when we hear it. When Demise speaks about gaining the Triforce and we hear that theme suddenly emerge on the organ, it gave me chills. It felt like Ganon's presence in the game had finally become real, and that yes, this character Demise will be Ganon someday. When we see Ganondorf appear to Zant, and the theme is no longer understated and self-contained, it's grandiose and grotesque, and is simultaneously inspiring and terrifying to Zant. These are powerful musical gestures that enhance the storyline. 
Demise doesn't have to say, I will return one day as a man named Ganondorf. We extrapolate this from the music because we associate that leitmotif with Ganondorf. Either the person or the motivations of Ganondorf. Hatred, desire, whatever you decide it to be. And we do this constantly with other characters, places, ideas, events, and actions all over the series. The leitmotif is a powerful tool for this very reason. It helps enhance the narrative without having to spell everything out for us as an audience. We can use the music underneath dialogue and action and so on to inform the motivations or the subtext or the eventual outcome of each of these things we behold. Now, I get that the franchise's music, although often overseen by Koji Kondo, has changed hands many times, and each new music team might not be having in-depth discussion about what each leitmotif actually represents and so on the way that we went through in this podcast. But it doesn't necessarily matter. The point is that the theme has evolved over the years, not just musically but also narratively, and raises these thought-provoking questions in us as an audience. And I think that's important when story is as big a part of the game as the actual game mechanics. And I look forward to future installments in the series where the music team continues to play around with these leitmotifs to give us clues about who's who, what they want, what they're feeling. And that's really what music and drama is all about. Supporting and enhancing the story. And that's what a leitmotif does best. We made it back home safely. What a show. <laughs> what a show. What a show. So, Brian, <laughs> now that you've definitely listened to Laura Segmon and Ganondorf, what did you think of it? Dun, da, dun, da, dun, da, dun. You know, just a short week ago, that didn't hold much meaning to me. But now <laughs> I, could, I could talk about the implications of that melody for an hour. All right, let's do it. I'm feeling fresh. Oh, I'm not. Let's end the show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if you all want to find more from Overclock Remix, check out ocremix.org. Uh, yes, Twitter is a great way to get in touch with us. We can sing songs and tell stories and give playlist suggestions over there. We're OCR Podcast over there. <laughs> all right. And you can email us at podcast at ocremix.org. That's true. Now we're going to head out of here. And call it a day, but not before we thank our good friend J.H. Sounds for his continued Duosis recuts. Of course, Laura for her segment, and both Black Doom and Yorito for the interview. I would just like to say I have been under the impression that I've finally been pronouncing Yorito's name correctly. But when he pronounced it, it was more like Yorito. So now I don't even know anymore. Oh my gosh. Now, So it's like a half silent J? I don't know. I don't know if it's Yorito, Yorito, or Yorito. <laughs> I'm very confused. Um... Okay, so we want to thank J-O-I-R-T-O for his yes. Uh, yes. contribution. So, yeah, I guess with all that said, why don't we jump into this week's playlist? Okay. The Playlist is a weekly collection of listener-submitted recommendations so we can all discover music together. This week's theme is Villain Themes. 
Balrog, originally from Cave Story, remixed by Quinn Fox, and submitted by Joseph G. Bowser Medley, originally from Super Mario 3D World, remixed by Insane in the Rain, featuring the Lonely Soundboard, and submitted by Joseph G. Chuck's theme from The Secret of Monkey Island Special Edition and submitted by Jorito? Jorito? 
Fight Against Smithy from Super Mario RPG and submitted by Black Doom. of the last enemy final conflict from treasure of the rudras and submitted by yami in from Sonic Adventure 2 and submitted by JH Sound
Mr. Big's theme from The Art of Fighting and submitted by Lazy Gecko. Now, from Mega Man Zero Three and submitted by Tamias Two Two Two. theme from Lunar 2 Eternal Blue and submitted by Sin. theme from Final Fantasy IX and submitted by Jeff McMillan.
You've been listening to the Overclocked Podcast. Next week's playlist is Puzzle Games. What counts as a puzzle game? That kind of depends on our personal whims, but come on, you know what we mean. To submit your suggestions, or just say you can solve puzzles in Zelda, that counts. Hit us up on Twitter at OCR Podcast. Email us at podcast at ocremix.org or visit us on the forums at ocremix.org. This week's lyrical wisdom I'm the boss. I'm the boss. I'm very, very sorry for your loss. And just in case I didn't get my point across, I'm the boss.